Hey, it's good to be back home here at Sherwood Oaks Bedford. Uh, I've actually been been off out of the pulpit here the last couple of weeks. You may remember two weeks ago, we had my friend uh, that, I'm, that I'm in this program with, Andrew, who came and preached. Uh, and then last week, uh, Tom Ellsworth, the lead minister at Sherwood Oaks, was, was down here uh, gracing us with his presence and his words. And I just wanted to, to mention something I, I brought up with our, our volunteers this morning. Uh, every Sunday morning, we gather everyone who's serving across Sherwood Oaks Bedford, all departments from First Impressions to children's ministry uh, to hear worship uh, production. And, and we just kind of have a, a little team huddle where we share in communion. Uh, we, we kind of remind ourselves of why we do what we do here this morning, which is ultimately just to serve you uh, and, and make it a, a available, you know, just a, a potential for God to, for you to encounter God in worship and, and this morning. And, and I just reminded them this morning that, uh, you know, one of our values as a church is that we mentor across generations. It's something that we take really seriously here, not just in our kids' ministry, uh, but we really want to be a church that is mentoring across all generations um, as something that, that we feel helps people live out their faith in Christ more. Uh, when you have someone who is intentionally pouring themselves into you, it, it makes you a better follower of Jesus. And, and on behalf of my buddy Andrew, um, you know, he spoke that Sunday. We had class the next day on Monday. And he told me, he said, Sean, your church welcomed me with open arms. I felt so much love and acceptance and just support and encouragement from them. And so he just wanted me to thank you on his behalf uh, for just welcoming him here to, to Sherwood Oaks. And that's part of what it means for us to mentor across generations. You know, Andrew is a young man. In fact, many of you came up to me afterwards and you're like, is he in high school still? Uh, very young man. He was actually 24. But I want to remind you that there was another young preacher almost 40 years ago who began his ministry at Sherwood Oaks at the age of 24, and that was Tom Ellsworth. And last weekend, we got to hear from him as Tom is now in his last six months of full-time ministry here at this church. And uh, I had a guy who was actually worshiping with us that Sunday that Andrew was here. That was at Tom's very first Sunday when he preached. And he said, Tom looked every bit as young as Andrew did in the pulpit that, that morning. So just thanks for giving um, us, you know, myself included, an opportunity just to uh, figure out how to best communicate God's word. You guys are a blessing to, to so many. I want to open us up with a word of prayer, then we'll dive in. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, just this church. Thank you for Sherwood Oaks Bedford particularly. Uh, I am incredibly grateful for the folks that uh, I get to call this place church home with. Thank you for those that you are bringing who are new, who Maybe they're coming because a family member invited them. Maybe they're here this morning because they just feel like they're at the end of themselves. They don't know where else to turn, and so they thought, you know, I'll give church a try. And for whatever reason, they landed here this morning. But, but God, it may seem like accidents or coincidence to us, but, but Father, I know that you want to speak to their hearts even today. Let them know that they are loved and that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. This is a place where all of us just lay down our masks. We, we're real with each other and we're real with you. And, and Father, thank you that, that your word speaks to the reality of our life. It doesn't sugarcoat it as, as sometimes we wish that it, that it would because we wish that life was just easier. But God, it's hard and it's messy and your word is honest about that. And even in Jesus' prayers, we continue to study this this morning, even in that prayer, he acknowledges the hardships of life. 
But Lord, you have left us in this world for your purposes, for your plan, and for your mission. And though you have left us, God, you have not abandoned us. And so may we be more aware of your presence in our lives and in this place, even now as we open up your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So recently, as part of uh, this, this master's program that I'm going through, and also just for a, a little bit of personal study, I've been reading through about, about leadership um, through the centuries and different leaders uh, and, and kind of what it was like for them to lead in their, in their time. Uh, you know, we read in the book of Esther that, that God raised up Esther and she came to this recognition that for such a time as this, she has been prepared to, to lead. And there are so many things that God continues to do that, that for such a time as this, he raised up this particular leader. And I've been incredibly fascinated by, by the church leaders that, that rose up uh, to influence during the time of, um, of Hitler in Nazi Germany and how they actively opposed him. Guys like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who were were executed for his stance against Hitler. Bonhoeffer challenged the, the church to stand against Hitler's nationalistic theology, where he was trying to merge the, the church and the state, but doing it from, from, a, from a very dangerous place, obviously. And, and, and then Bonhoeffer eventually lost his life because of his failed, uh, his participation in a failed assassination attempt against Hitler. If you're a history buff and you want to learn more about Bonhoeffer, he's an amazing, amazing man. Um, Eric Metaxas wrote a biography on Bonhoeffer's life that I highly encourage. It's thick, but it's a good, it's a really good read. Another guy that, that I came across as I was studying Bonhoeffer's life uh, that kind of stood out. I want, to, I want to just talk a little bit more about his story this morning. His name is Martin Niemöller. We have a picture of, of old Martin there up on the screen. Neil Muller was a German Lutheran pastor because he was German, and so you're just by default Lutheran typically. And uh, so he was sentenced to uh, Dachau uh, concentration camp for his opposition of Hitler in Nazi Germany. And he's probably best known for his public confession um, for not doing enough early on in Hitler's rise to power to speak out against his danger. And so he wrote out his confession in the form of, the, of a poem. Maybe you've, you've heard it before. He writes this. He says, first, they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Some powerful words that he wrote while in a concentration camp. He found himself in prison at Dachau for seven and a half years. During that time there, over a quarter million people lost their life. However, during this time in his concentration camp, Neil Muller continued just to minister to people. He continued to, to pastor them, to shepherd them, to inspire as much hope as you possibly could in a place like that, to be a light in the middle of what is one of the most darkest moments in in our history. One author wrote to talk with Nehemiah was to visit a man who looked death in the face every day, day after day, and knew the power of the resurrected Christ. You know, it's easy to, to look at his account and to look at his life and to think, you know, here's a guy who is faithful to God. He, he stood up for what was right. And in those moments where he felt like he could have taken more of a stand, he publicly confessed and, and repented from that. He was even willing to lose his life for the protection and the good of others. 
why didn't God pull him out of this situation? Why didn't God just like swoop in and rescue him or, or, or keep him from even going to that concentration camp to begin with? And, you know, the truth of it is, is that for some of you here today, right now, you're kind of wondering the same thing about your own situation. You're looking at your life and you're thinking, God, I'm a good person. I take care of others. I give my time. I do right by people. Why haven't you taken me out of this situation? Or, or why, why does it seem like I just can't catch a break? Or why does it seem like this is happening to me? Why does it seem like this is happening to us? It's a natural human reaction that I, I imagine at some point in our lives or another, we've all felt, whether we want to admit it or not, we've probably all felt it. And you read the Psalms and there's a lot of honesty in there about the situations that people are in and, and, the, and the writer's going, God, where are you? What's up? What's the deal here? But there's also a lot of truth about a God who is good no matter how bad life seems. That he hasn't abandoned us, that he walks with us even when we feel at times like we're walking alone. You see, if, if, if this was how God worked, if, if he worked in this way where you do good and then good things just are going to happen, you know, the world teaches a version of this, you know, karma, but oftentimes they also teach it in the negative way. You do bad, well, then bad things are going to happen to you. If that's the way that, that the world worked, if that's the way that even God worked, then then the truth is it'd be totally fair for us to ask these questions of him. But over and over and over through Scripture, what we find is that, that this isn't how God operates. Like sometimes, sometimes life is just unfair. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's, it's painful. In fact, as we continue to look at Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 today, we're going to see that Jesus actually, get this, Jesus actually prays for us to remain in this world despite its hurts and its pains. That's what Jesus prays for us, that we would remain in this world despite its hurts and its pains. And there are days where, if I'm honest, I wish that Jesus would have prayed the opposite of that. (laughs) You with me? There are days where I wish that Jesus would have prayed, God, take them. They're all yours. (laughs) Let them go safely. Let them go safely into the gates of heaven. But that's what, what Jesus prays. And my hope is that today you'll understand why and how we can come alongside of others who are just living, living with the pain of, of this broken world. If you have a Bible or a Bible app with you, turn with me to John chapter 17, verse 13. John chapter 17. We'll have the the words up on the screen as well. We're in week seven of our our series called Live Like Jesus. And and so over the last several weeks, we've just been talking. I mean, this is a a series on discipleship. It's a series on how we can uh, just live more like Jesus in, in, in our attitude and action. In fact, throughout this series, we have defined discipleship as that. Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus in our attitude and in our action. 
And, and that as we do that, then, then we just naturally will go out and we'll bring others alongside of us so that they can um, know, love, and follow Jesus as well. We take what we are learning, what we have experienced, you know, this grace that we have received, and we, and we go out and we share that with others, not just in the way that we live, but also in, in just our, our words and our relationship with them. And a hope that they will come to know Jesus too. And that then as they become more like Jesus, they, they will also find their lives uh, kind of becoming more like him in attitude and in action. And as we continue today, we're going to be looking at this, this idea. You know, we, we've been looking at different words all throughout, you know, speak and pray and protect. And, and this morning we're going to be looking at this very churchy word that, that we'll get to later on in the sermon. Uh, the word sanctify. The word sanctify. Let's look at our text together. John 17, beginning in verse 13. This is what Jesus continues. We're kind of dropping in right here in this intimate moment between the Father and the Son. And this is what Jesus prays. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. You see, Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to an end. Judas is actively in the process of betraying him while Jesus prays this prayer, while they're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Jesus knows that, that he's not just down to his final days, he's literally down to his final moments. And so he says, I'm about ready to come to you, but I pray that they will have the same joy that I, that I have. He prays for his disciples to have joy in spite of the coming conflict. Not just his own conflict, but their conflict as well. And Jesus' eyes were fixed on greater things. And so he's able to say, my joy, this joy that he has, even as the cross looms. Man, I don't know that I would be able to say, my joy when I knew the pain and the suffering that were ahead of me. But Jesus prayed that. And his prayer was for his disciples and for us to maintain their joy as they fixed their eyes on the Father, even as persecution loomed. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So the world has always and will always demand conformity to its point of view and to its practices. When we take our stand with Jesus, we inevitably will experience the same rejection and persecution that he experienced, even if we show the same love and compassion and grace that Jesus showed. And it's here that we find in this prayer of Jesus that, that if we're honest, at least some of us scratching our heads. You see, Jesus doesn't ask for us to be removed from difficult and dangerous situations. He he, he prays for us in the middle of those. And how many times in life, when you look back on it, how many times do you wish that Jesus would have prayed the opposite prayer? That he just would have prayed for, for God to just remove us from the pains of this life, to remove us from its difficulties. But instead, Jesus prays for God to protect us, to watch over us. In fact, this word protect, we, we studied it a little bit last week, that, that word protect means to guard and to watch over, to guard and 
to watch over. Jesus prays for God to guard and watch over us so that, so that our mission and our ministry, the mission and ministry that Jesus started will continue and that God will protect our hearts from Satan's scheme so that we do not fall away. See, Jesus' prayer was not for God to send this plane to swoop down and rescue us from this hostile and painful world. That would have destroyed God's mission continuing through us. God's plan wasn't to to wrap us in some kind of like divine bubble wrap <laughs> where, where things just bounce off of us, where we never encounter evil and pain. Instead, Jesus prays that God will protect you and keep you from some coming to the onslaught of Satan in this world. That is what Jesus prayed for you. And in this place of protection, Jesus calls his followers, he calls us to live a life of, of holiness. Look at verse 16 again. He says, they are not of the world. There's, a, there's this separateness to us. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And holiness, holiness is a way of life that is completely foreign to the world that we live in. A life of holiness is what sets followers of Jesus apart from the world. You see, our world follows a way of sin and hatred and immorality. Our, our world worships things like financial security and pleasure and self-expression, and those are all good things. Listen to me, those are all good things. The problem comes when we make these good things a God thing. And they become destructive in our lives and in our society when we begin to actually worship pleasure, worship financial security, put all of our trust in that, demand self-expression. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we are not of this world. We are aliens living in a foreign land, which should really make us more compassionate for the foreigners living in our land too. Because we know what it's like to be in the world but not of it. And so often we experience hatred and persecution just as Jesus did. The truth is because the world is such a tempting place, holiness is not always evident in the life of followers of Jesus. And we justify our actions that end up looking more like the world's and less like Jesus. And so we say things like, well, my wife just doesn't give me what I need, and so I have to turn to this for satisfaction. My husband doesn't pay attention to me like he does, and I feel loved when I'm with him. We say things like, well, I work hard, like no one's going to notice if I just kind of fudge the numbers just a little bit to get what I deserve. It's just a television show. I know that it, everything in it goes against God's design for sex and relationships and marriage, but it's entertaining. I have every right to hold a grudge after what they did to me. They deserve it. And the list could go on and on of all the ways that we justify 
ourselves to look more like the world and less like Jesus. In fact, think about your actions and your attitude. The two things that grow to be more like Jesus when we follow him, do they look more like him or do they look more like the world? What would Jesus say? In the, in the man, the hope that I cling to, <laughs> because if I'm honest with myself, oftentimes they look a whole lot more like the world and a lot less like Jesus. But the hope that I hang on to is that there is grace and there's forgiveness for me and there's grace and there's forgiveness for you too. There's this process that we are in, and Jesus talks about it in these next verses as he continues his, his prayer in, in verse 17. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And there's our word. It's an important word in our text. In fact, it's mentioned three times in these three passages. And as you study scripture, anytime you see a word repeated multiple times, especially in a short section like this, then it's a word that's really worth paying attention to. And so this is, again, it's a churchy word. If you've been around church for a while, you've heard it. If you're new to church, you may be a little confused uh, what, what it means. If you've been in church for a while, you still may be a little confused about what it means, and that's fine. The word sanctify means to set apart for a good purpose or use. To be set apart, and not just set apart, but actually for a good purpose, for a good use. And so this idea continues that God is leaving us in the world even though we are not of the world. You following here with me? That, that God has left us in the world even though we are separate, we have been set apart, and we are not of the world. We've been set apart and set aside for his purposes and his plans in our lives and, and we find a new sense of joy and fulfillment as, as our lives begin to align more with Jesus. It doesn't mean that God separates us from the pain and hardship that we will experience in this world. Instead, he sets us apart for a greater purpose in the midst of them. And here is the purpose. To continue to minister to others who have been ravaged by the effects of living in a broken world. That's it. The reason why God does not swoop down and rescue us, the reason why he has not wrapped us in this divine bubble wrap to protect us is because we live in a broken and fallen world and they need to know that there is hope in Jesus and we cannot give that to them with any kind of credibility unless we have experienced that pain ourselves. It's the exact reason why Jesus left his throne of heaven, entered into this world with us, experienced our pain so that he could be a compassionate savior for us. And then Paul goes on, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that, that now we take this, this grace, we take this counsel that we have received from the Holy Spirit and in time we turn and we give that same grace and that same counsel to others. And so, we are here to minister to others who have been ravaged by the effects of living in a broken world to love and serve them and point them to the one who can give their lives hope. 
The truth of our text today is, is this. We are set apart by Jesus for Jesus so the world may know Jesus. We've been set apart by Jesus for Jesus so the world may know Jesus. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus has set us apart and he imparted on us a holiness that was not our own. He gave it to us through himself when we place our faith in him. And then he has turned around and he has sent us into this world with a mission and a purpose to tell others about him so that they can find what we have found in Christ. You have been set apart by Jesus for Jesus, so the world may know Jesus. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 6, after saying that, that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, meaning that, that it doesn't matter how far you feel like you are from God right now, grace is bigger than that. Grace is strong enough to save you from your sin, no matter what you've done, where you've been, no matter what's been done to you, grace is big enough to save you from that. But then he goes on in Romans 6, 1. He says, well, what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning just so that grace may increase? In other words, should we just be like, well, hey, God's going to forgive me. I might as well do it anyway. <laughs> no. By no means, in fact, Paul says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. See, the process of being set apart by Jesus, for Jesus, so that the world may know Jesus, begins when we place our faith in him, in his death, burial, and resurrection, and then identify with him through baptism. This, this symbolic act of, of laying our old selves down, of dying to ourselves and coming up into the newness of life in Christ. And when we participate in that act, Paul says that you are demonstrating that you have died to your old self and that new life is now yours and that you no longer are a slave to sin and you have been given a new purpose to help others living in this broken world to find and follow Jesus. You have been sanctified. If you are in Christ, you have been set apart by Jesus, for Jesus, so the world may know Jesus. Church, may we be followers of Jesus who go out and live like that. Would you stand with me? And I'll pray. Father, there is a... Uh, a weight to this, to this message that I know many of us may be feeling right now, maybe even some conviction. 
Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, that Paul says even earlier than, than what he said in Romans chapter 6, that it's your kindness that leads us to a place of repentance. And, and so there may be some in here today that, that that's their next step. They just need to, they need to repent. They need to confess their sin. They need to confess all those ways that they have justified their actions to look more like the world and less like you. They need to confess that to someone and to turn from it and to begin following you again because, Lord, you have set them apart for your plans and your purposes so that the world may know you more. Father, there are people that are in here today whose, man, life has just been hard. They've lost someone that they love and that they care for. Their relationships are just going through a really hard time right now. There's been a pain so deep that they've carried that, that maybe people don't even know and they cry out to you over and over again, God, take this from me, take this from me. But you haven't. Lord, help them to repurpose this in their mind to see that, that this is something maybe that, God, you want to use in them to instill hope and grace in the life of someone else and that in that, Father, you, through your power and your grace, can redeem that difficulty. And it may not be today, it may not be next year, but there's going to be some time that, Lord, you are going to use that for your good and for your glory to help someone else who is stuck here in this hurtful world to know that there's hope for them too. And Father, for the person today who has never made the decision to lay down their life and to take up new life in Christ, Lord, you love them, you are for them, you have something for their life that God, they can't even imagine right now and it is good. And I pray, Lord, that you will give them the courage, maybe even today, to take that first step and to say, I believe, I want to put my faith in Jesus and start following him. Lord, you know our hearts, you know where we are better than we do. Would you inspire us to take our next step more like you, that our actions and our attitude may look more like Jesus. In his name.